Hello, and welcome to Isaiah Burr's Private Equity Dealbook podcast series. I'm your host, Alana Margulies Snyderman, and with me today is Peter Weinbach, Managing Director at Bentley Associates, a New York-based investment bank for middle market and growth companies. Today, Peter will share with us his outlook for the private equity industry this year and M&A activity amid the current macroeconomic environment, including how the environment has impacted transactions, deal valuations, due diligence, and more. He will also share his thoughts on how ESG continues to be more prominent in evaluating companies. Hi, Peter. Thank you for being with me today. (laughs) My pleasure. So, Peter, to kick off the conversation, tell us a little about Bentley Associates and how you got to where you are today. So, Bentley Associates is a uh, boutique investment bank. We've been uh, been in business for, I think, close to 30 years. We have a relationship, a key relationship with Morgan Stanley, where if a deal comes into the corporate parent and it's too uh, too small, it gets referred out to you know, a set of banks, and we're one of those referral banks. So, uh, we work closely with Morgan Stanley, which is uh, which is a great relationship. And uh, most of the people from Bentley come from the bulls bracket. So, it's, it's really taking the, uh, you know, uh, bulls bracket approach and bringing it to middle markets. My background, by the way, was previously in private equity. I was with a group formerly known as, uh, I guess, Patrick Off, and then Apex. And then I, I uh, along with two other partners, ran a fund in the 90s, AIG Horizon. So I've been in private equity for 25 years. And uh, I uh, I had a family office, uh, a small family office, nothing nothing too terribly large, but uh, we were uh, buying some companies and uh, I, I joined Bentley at the time that um, it had a structure that allowed me both to stay in uh, uh, you know this small uh, family business as well as uh, getting back involved in the uh, the M&A world. So Peter, as a follow-up question, I'd love to hear some key trends that have been driving deal making and how you think these trends will continue to influence M&A activity this year. There's no doubt that deal activity is down. So, uh, you know, undoubtedly interest rates are up. The credit market's a little bit tighter. Evaluations have come down. Uh, clearly, a lot of uh, sellers have high expectations. And when things come down rather rapidly, you know, sometimes there's a uh, spread between the bid and the ask. But I would say the following. First is that with regard to the uh, the amount of capital on the equity side, there's been a, there's something like $1.2 trillion of uninvested um, capital out there in terms of private equity money that's been raised that still needs to be deployed. The credit markets are tighter, but nonetheless, you know, the the the, the private equity uh, you know community does have, you know, ample resources. The public markets has been kind of interesting. Uh, I do a bunch in tech and there has been a you know pretty material reduction in terms of valuation. So if you look to the public markets, just uh, some of the uh, yeah, some of the multiples have come down from on average you know, 12, 13 times revenues down to five to eight times and you're starting to see some going private transactions. And so what I think you're going to see over time is some of those industries, which may be temporarily depressed, but have long-term, you know, favorable prospects, despite credit being a little tight, you'll see, I think, some transactions getting done. So that'll be one. And two is, as it relates to cash negative companies, they're either going to be sold or they're going to have uh, have to scale back and, and you know, cut costs to preserve their capital. So I think you're going to find one, some consolidation activities with regard to some of the cash negative companies, and two, a step up in terms of the pace of M&A. It may be delayed until things get a little bit more favorable on the financing side, but I think you're starting to see some backlogs and some interests you know, starting to uh, percolate. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll start to see the activity really kick later in the year. And I think it'll be those sectors that are temporarily depressed that still have you know, favorable long-term prospects. 
And Peter, I'd love for you to address the challenges that the current macroeconomic environment has presented to your clients who've recently closed or are in the process of closing an M&A transaction. <laughs> well, you know, the, yeah, there's two things. So one is financing. So the financing environment today is a lot less favorable than it was 6, 12, 18 months ago. So in terms of, you know, first on, uh, in terms of private equity, the availability of debt is down fairly substantially. It used to be that you're looking at, you know, five and a half times debt to EBITDA. That's come down. I mean, in some instances now we're seeing three and a half times. So you have two extra turns of, you know, debt that, that's come off the balance sheet. So one is the amount of debt available has been down. The credit underwriting standards have, have really tightened. So it means that you have to be better quality in order to get the deals done. Uh, and interest rates are higher. So, uh, you know, obviously then that means that, you know, in a lot of the instances here, the amount you can pay with those higher interest rates and get in and still achieve your returns means that the buy-in prices may come down. So what we're finding is lower purchase prices, a lower amount of debt, higher equity checks, and longer due diligence periods. And, you know, there, there has been less activity, but deals that are in sectors that have um, and I would nothing is really recession proof, but a little bit more recession resistant. Those are you know more likely to get done. So whether it's healthcare or some other sectors that tend to be somewhat less affected by a downturn, those those still seem to have a decent amount of interest. Although again, activity is down because of the financing markets. Right, absolutely, that makes sense, Peter. And I'd love for you to discuss some trends you've been seeing in purchase prices and EBITDA multiples, and how do you think these trends will continue this year? So, so the answer is first, multiples are down. So when you look at the public markets, as I discussed, if you look at a bunch of the software companies that we're interested in, SaaS-based stuff, you know, the, the revenue multiples are down from anywhere from the, you know, from the 13 to 15 plus range down to somewhere closer to that three to seven, five, you know, three to seven, some maybe, maybe pushing eight, nine, but we're, we're down pretty substantially down, you know, 30% plus in most instances. So, and in terms of EBITDA, you know, the same holds true when the amount of debt, you know, obviously goes down when interest rates go up uh, and the amount of equity contributed obviously you know, goes up. All that means if you look at the combination thereof in order to get your returns, yeah, you can't pay quite as much in a high interest rate environment as you could in a lower interest rate environment. <laughs> and so we're seeing prices come down. So in terms of multiples, also in more, we, we do a little bit in other growth related sectors in addition to you know, software and services, a little bit in healthcare and elsewhere. And you know, we're seeing a turn or so and with regard to, but I, all that said, if it's a really good business, there's still lots of interest. I mean, as I indicated before, you've got on the one hand, difficult financial conditions, higher rates, tougher debt to get. On the other hand, you got all this money that was raised and they need to put it out. So when anything's the least bit interesting, suddenly you get a uh, pretty pretty hot auction. And so the prices tend to, you know, they go down, but not quite as much as one might expect. So Peter, what is one key piece of advice you would give to a company contemplating a buy side transaction? And also I'd love to hear your thoughts on advice you have for a company contemplating a sell side transaction. First, uh, you want me to both the buy side and the sell side. So on the buy side, what I would say is that we're, you know, it could be over the next six to 12 months that uh, we're heading through some, you know, challenging economic times. So I would say that it's critically important that you make sure that you've got synergies that are achievable, that you know what you're buying, that the integration risks are manageable, and that you're somewhat skilled, you understand, you know, all the elements involved in, in buying and integrating a company successfully. So be extremely cautious and careful 
during times when there's lots of, you know, call it uh, economic risk, you don't want to couple that with a lot of business risk. So you got to make sure you uh, you try to find, uh, you know, whether you're just buying a product and putting it down your distribution channel, something where you can understand and really define the risks you're taking, you feel comfortable doing it. That would be the buy side. The sell side, I would say that, you know, in the old days, it used to be that um, having somebody who was an industry specialist was critically important. They might have unique contacts in that industry. But I think today that's that's dramatically changed. There's a huge number of buyers, both strategics and financials. And getting to potential buyers is no longer a, a real edge. What is an edge is curating a story. What is an edge is putting together an investment case. What is an edge is, is understanding from the buyer's perspective how they're going to generate a return. So if it's a, a strategic defining for them where the synergies may come from, whether it will be volume purchases, whether they could be G&A takeout, what they can do to you know grow revenues and cut costs. If it's a financial, it's putting together a blueprint. I taught a course at uh, USC when you used to always focus on what we call the blueprint. You buy a company, you want an auction, congratulations, you outbid everyone else. <laughs> and so the blueprint is how do you generate a return on that investment? How are you going to grow your business? How are you going to you know, increase cash flow? How are you going to make a return on your invested capital? And so we try to lay out in our SIMs, our confidential information memos, uh, when we're selling a company, you know, this blueprint. So I would say to the people who are thinking about selling, uh, you got to make sure you have a durable base and you got to have some kind of plan to really ramp the business. And that would be to a financial. And if it's going to be a strategic, you know, there's got to be defined achievable synergies that we think we can bring to them to make it compelling. Peter, I have a couple more questions for you before we wrap up. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on ESG and how the prominence that weighs in evaluating companies. You know, I would say the following. First is ESG, you know, although I think it's, it's some of the, what they're looking to uh, you know, achieve makes good sense and it's difficult to disagree with, I think the fundamental thing that people are looking to achieve are returns. And I think that when you hire a manager, Hopefully, the manager, whether they're running a fund or running a company, uh, is looking to maximize profit, is looking to maximize their competitive edge. And insofar as it relates to community relations or you know good governance, those things can be additive and those can be good business practices and that can help you achieve an edge. But if you're going beyond the traditional, you know, kind of call it profit maximization approach, and now you're adding on incremental costs to be a good citizen and doing things, you know, from a social perspective, I think that may be outside the purview of management and could add an extra layer of cost and render you less competitive than others. So I would say that uh, I think the question is of the objectives of ESG consistent with creating a, a better, stronger business. If the answer is yes, then I'm, I, I think they, they're, they're looked upon very favorably. If the answer is that they're kind of, you know, extra cost and fall into the area of someone uh, doing something you know, socially good. I think there's plenty of room to do socially good. And I think you can do that on your own through, through contributions, donations, philanthropy, getting involved. But I'm not so sure that it's, it's necessarily appropriate in the context of a management, whether it's a fund or a, a company. Peter, we've covered a lot of ground today and wanted to see if you have any final concluding thoughts or takeaways you'd like to share with us. The only concluding thought I might say is that the private markets, whether it's private equity, private real estate, private credit, have really matured over the last decade. And so as we're discussing today, private versus public, I think fundamentally people have to stop looking at the distinction. You know, at the end of the day, 
if you're and I again I 25 years plus in private equity if if you're in the in the asset management business you're looking to achieve a you know a return you're looking to accept certain risks and for those risks get a certain return and I think the distinction between public and private over time is going to fade you're almost somewhat agnostic the objective is to get a great return and the, and the method of getting it you know, both of these are fundamental analysis on companies they happen to take different forms but I think both of these industries at one point private was way more inefficient than public and it afforded you greater opportunities to find mispricings and make money and today I'm just not sure necessarily that's the case well Peter I wanted to thank you so much for sharing your perspective with our listeners and thank you for listening to the Isaiah Ever podcast series. Visit isaiahever.com for more information on this and a host of other topics. And join us for our next Isaiah Ever podcast when we get down to business.